This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. For the first time in eight seasons, and Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide, a loss here at Bryant Denny. So happy for the state of Louisiana and all the LSU fans and our football team and our coaching staff. They worked very hard for this victory. It's a must-deserve victory for our football team and our great state of Louisiana and our great university in LSU. everyone to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com, and we're still basking in the afterglow that was LSU beating Bama 46-41. Yeah, 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 yeah! Yeah, 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 yeah! I don't think that's enough, brother. Let's keep it going. The DECA, yeah, it's a tradition unlike any other, and why not break that out? It's seven days later since LSU beat Alabama. Dare I say, one of the greatest days in the history of our great sport of college football in the state of Louisiana. And my goodness, we can talk about that for the entire two hours, but we got to kind of move forward. We got to start taking steps towards talking about what's causing all this in the world of college football. Obviously, the Cajuns, the LSU Tigers, they're getting ready for some big games where they are absolutely huge spreads. And I definitely think you can cover on a lot of those. And of course, the Saints, they've got their big game on Sunday against the Bucks, trying to bounce back after losing the way that they did last weekend against the Atlanta Falcons. Definitely nobody saw that one coming. But then again, I kind of expected because sometimes you need to give up a little bit so you can get a lot. And that was definitely, you gave up a little bit 
and you've got a lot at the end of the day. And that is, more importantly, winning and beating Alabama for the first time in nine years. And, by the way, I may be a little bit off with my prediction, but it's still pretty darn good. It's not a prediction. It's a spoiler. LSU beats Bama 42-38. Apples, oranges. I was relatively close. I'm going to give myself a little, you know, a pat on the back right there. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself a wonderful Saturday morning under the dome. As always, broadcasting live from the 237 Roof Studios on Acadiana's Sports Station 103.7 The Game. And without further ado, let's give you an idea of what happened last night involving your favorite Acadiana area teams, and dare I say the entire state of Louisiana, because trust me, the playoffs, they're here. We start things off in Class 5A. The Acadiana High Wrecking Rams took care of business, made it look easy against Benton with a 72-28 victory. And now the Wrecking Rams will take on Walker in the next round of the playoffs. You get the Southside Sharks. They come up short 55-21 against Airline. The inaugural season, I think it was a complete success. Or as the Incredible Hulk said in Avengers Endgame, he saw this as an absolute win for this team. First year of varsity football, winning season, winning regular season, I should say. And then you make the postseason. It's definitely a great step in the right direction. A lot of youth. So it'll be fun to see what happens with that program in the distant future. But in the like near future, you got airline. They'll be playing Zachary next week. Como getting their first win in a decade. In postseason play, obviously. Como beating Slidell 42-14. And now Como going to be probably hitting the high road to take on Houghton, who beat Wachita Paris last night 28-7. Other matchups in the Acadian area last night. Eunice beat Plaquemine 35-27. And Eunice will now kind of make a little trip to take on Bastrop, who beat North Vermilion like a drum last night, 56-14. The Patriots kind of got a little bit of a reality check after having a really good 2019 regular season first one in Class 4A. Just couldn't get it done against a program like Bastrop. Meanwhile, the fifth-seeded character Golden Bears, we'll talk about a lot about them in the next segment, but they came away with a 41-7 win over Northwood Street. Excuse me, 41-7 win over Salmon. They'll take on Northwood Shreveport next week, who eked out a win over Rain 7-6. Moving on down the line, Bro Bridge beats South Terrebonne 35-12. Now Bro Bridge will take on Bell Chase, who came away with a 21-14 win over Huntington. Westgate taking down Livonia 39-7. Definitely a big surprise, those Tigers getting things done. They're going to be sneaky good in the postseason. I'm sure we can talk about it. It with our guy Tony Corville a little bit later on in the program. That's one of the many guests we'll have on this Saturday. And we also had they'll be taking on Assumption in the next round, who beat Lagrange by the score of 24 to 13. Looking at class 3A, you had Mandeville beat Erath 28-21. Erath season is done. Marksville, congrats to them for getting it done. And then you've got Caldwell Caldwell Parish 
beating Albany 23-6. St. Martinville losing to Union Parish 37-6. Tough break for that program. Iota beating out Wassman 32-22. Oh, man, we got some really good ones as well. When it comes to Lake Charles College Prep 35-32. Jennings beats Carroll 34-27. They'll take on Church Point next week, who beat Frederick A. Douglas 64-26. Kaplan beats Bozier 46-14. And they'll make the long, long trek up to Sterlington, who beat Crowley in overtime 36-37. In Class 2A, Welsh ekes out a win against Franklin 14-12, your final there. And now Welsh will kind of be out of the frying pan and into the fire, taking on A. Mead, who beat Winfield 38-9. A couple other ones. The Kentwood Kangaroos shut out Bunky 31-zip. Pine beats Port Berry 54-29. And then Manny shutting out Vidalia 59-zip. A couple other notable matchups. Looking at Class 1A, the only Acadian area team, Gaydon, getting a 30-20 win. Over Delhi, the fight Tim McGraws, as I called him last night. Gaydon now moving on to the next round. Take on Oberlin. Bazile getting a 49-35 win over Lincoln Prep. Then now take on Haynesville this time next week. Looking over at Division One, moving over to the select schools. St. Aug beat C.E. Bird 45-40. And then St. Augustine at Archbishop Rumble. Scotlandville beats McKinley 35-0, taking on Brother Martin next week. Scotlandville is getting a big matchup. Jesuit beats Archbishop Shaw 33-0. Their prize, taking on John Curtis next week. And then St. Paul's ekes out a win over Holy Cross 9-7. That means he's going to be taking on Catholic Baton Rouge. St. Thomas Memorial found out, found out their opponent earlier in the week, and that is Evangel getting a 84-20 win over Edie White. Next up, the Cougars going to be taking on Evangel. Marquee matchup, to say the least. St. Louis beats St. Michael 42-21. Loyola Prep beats Thomas Jefferson 35-0. U-High beats Lusher 49-zip. Vanderbilt beats Archbishop Hannon 21-14. And Turlings Catholic squeaks away a win of 18-14 over, Tur- over Parkview Baptist. Now, Turlings is going to be taking on De La Salle. In Division Three action, Holy Savior Menard beats out Ascension Episcopal 28-25. Only a three-point differential in that one. Probably one of the more entertaining matchups, at least on paper. And they'll be taking on LCA this time next week. Episcopal and North Lake. Episcopal came away with a 51-0 win. Catholic High New Iberia beats St. Thomas Aquinas 48-12. When you look at Episcopal, they take on St. Charles and Catholic I knew I'd be here. We'll have a matchup against Notre Dame. I'm penciling that one in. That's probably one of the must-watch games in the Acadiana area. Notre Dame, Catholic I knew Iberia. And then finally, Dunham going to be squaring off with Isidore Newman. That is going to be a lot of fun because obviously the Greedies are just always going to wind up being a force to be reckoned with, reckoned with in Division Three, especially now that all the talk is around one man, and that is Arch Manning, part of that Manning dynasty. Of course, we'll flip it on over to what happened in Division Four. Vermilion Catholic and Ascension Christian had a one-sided affair. Vermilion Catholic, the Screaming Eagles, soared on the way to a victory, fifty to seven. They'll be taking on Country Day, who beat Central Catholic last night, thirty to fifteen. Watchdog Christian 
beats out Sacred Heart 54 to nothing. Calvary Baptist beats St. Frederick 52 to 12. Southern Lab beats St. Ed 53 to 7. Catholic High Point Capi, the fighting Cody Shoots, has beat Cedar Creek 28 to 7. And then I'd say the nicest score of all, we saved the best for last. That is Opelousas Catholic beating out Hamilton Christian 69 to nothing. You heard me right. That's a pretty nice final score, if I do say so myself. But now we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. Now to get you all the final scores, all the pyro and ballyhoo and everything in between, we'll take a commercial break. When we come back, we'll talk with Tony Corville, head coach of the Caracol Golden Bears, to recap Salmon and what's on tap for the team next week. They've got a tough one on tap, and we'll talk about that and a whole lot more in just a few. So keep it locked right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 thegamecom The numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk. He's fat! On Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And now we're going to kind of flip things over, keep it going with, with high school football. For just a few more minutes, because of course we had a, a lot of great games. One of those involving the Caracol Golden Bears getting it done last night against Salmon, a one-sided affair, I would say, with that score. I remember it right now. We, it was definitely a entertaining ball game in Class Four A. Caracol getting a forty-one win, forty-one-seven win over Salmon. And now we move on over to the Arco Equipment Hotline. Talk with the guy Tony Corville, the head coach. Of the Caracol Golden Bears, which you can hear every Friday night on Z1059. Coach, how's it going? Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Doing fantastic. Congrats on the win, first things first. What can you say about what happened last night? The Golden Bears coming away with a huge, as I mentioned moments ago, 41-7 win over a team like Salmon. Well, first of all, thank you for that. We appreciate it. You know, we're, we're just truly uh, blessed the opportunity to be able to show up this morning with the opportunity to play next week. You know, I really like this team, and, uh, and so we're blessed to be have another uh, another week together. But last night was a uh, score was forty one to six, but it was a uh, it was a tough battle at first. There. I have to give uh, Salmon some uh, props. They came in with a, uh, an excellent game plan defensively, and they gave us some fits early. But uh, credit to my offensive uh, my offensive uh, coaches, they figured it out, and we finally uh, took it to them. Exactly. You can definitely kind of say the same about a guy like Kendrell Williams, who has been an absolute beast all season long, and we saw it continue with last night's performance. It feels like it's just quickly becoming the Kendrell Williams show. Well, you know, Kendrell's a, a super young man, first of all, and then uh, he's a tremendous athlete. You know, he's a three-sport athlete over here. He's been a state champion in, in, in track and in wrestling, and, he, you know, we're, we're blessed to have that type of a caliber athlete running the ball for us. Talk right now with Caracol Golden Bears head coach Tony Corville. He's on the Arco Equipment Hotline. And, you know, we just look at this team. We haven't necessarily been able to talk to you as much as maybe I'd like to during the regular season. 
But, Coach, mm-hmm. I think obviously we've got to kind of bring up, obviously, Popcorn Praise you know, a few weeks ago gets yeah. injured. But this team showed a lot of resiliency, and we can talk about that being a theme of this team because you started the season with a tough loss to the crosstown rival in Acadiana High, and then you right. kind of turned the page, were able to get a lot of wins. That St. Thomas mm-hmm. Moore game was a little disappointing, but you were still able to kind of finish the regular season strong. What do you say about this team's resiliency throughout the season? Well, you know, uh, first of all, unfortunately, football is a game of attrition. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we've been hit fairly hard this year. I'm not going to use it as huge because that happens for for everybody. But I've lost six starters, including probably one last night to injuries. I mean, uh, we're running out of crutches over there, unfortunately. I don't, you know, to make a pun. But, uh, you know, it's a tribute to these kids and the next man up. You know, we, uh, we, we try to. We try to instill the, the, the grit that you have to have and the resiliency. And uh, we've been fortunate that each young man that we've asked to do that has stepped up and has been successful, and we're pleased with that. And I think you should be pleased with that, Coach. Now we're going to kind of flip things over to what's going mm-hmm. to be going on next week. Northwood Shreveport wound up having yeah. a low-scoring contest last night, 7-6 to six win. They, that speaks a lot to Northwood Shreveport and their strong defense. What's an early scouting report from what you can tell? Maybe you've watched a little bit of film this morning. What, what are your yeah, early thoughts yeah. on Northwood Shreveport? Well, you know, again, this is going be the first time that we have a cross path with, with Northwood. But uh, I talked to uh, Coach Gatman last night, and, and uh, they, you know, they're, they're 9 and 2 2. Uh, also, uh, they played a very competitive schedule. Uh, the teams that they lost to, I mean, they lost to Banjo, which, you know, we're doing it year in, year out, so a quality. Uh, Caliber football team, so you know, we're looking forward to the challenge. Uh, just you know, briefly uh, looking at some film, you know, we uh, get on. And, you know, we're just finishing what we call film and flush over the kids where they come in and do some lactic running, and we watched last night's game to make the corrections, and then we go on forward. But they look to be very big on both sides of the front, and then they got athletes on the back ends on both sides. They got a quarterback there, I understand that can really, really sling it. They have a, a big, tall, six-three wide out, and. Uh, It'll be a, a huge challenge for us, but I know these young men are looking forward to it. Hey, you call it film and flush on a Saturday. You know, we definitely kind of start moving on. Definitely no 24-hour rule in high school football. Coach, thanks so much for oh, coming on. We'll talk to you down the road, and best of luck the rest of the postseason. I uh, appreciate it. Thank you for having us on. Appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. As always, that was Coach Tony Corville, head coach of the Carrico Golden Bears. Proud alma mater, by the way. It's just great to see this team get things done. And they're going to wind up probably making a decent run in the postseason. I've talked about it over the last several weeks. I say quarterfinal is the bar that they're going to wind up having to jump over if they want to have a magical season. Because I think quarterfinals is where things stand right here, right now. The Friday after Thanksgiving, that's where I think we see where the Karen Golden Bears are right here, right now. I think they have every chance to jump over that bar. But trust me, that bar is going to be very tough, depending on who they want to facing off against. I think when you just look at Class 4A, the bright side is odds are you won't have to play Neville. So that's a very, very good thing if you're the Cameron Golden Bears who have kind of gotten bitten by that time and again. But this week will be a tough test. We know Caracol's offense has been on fire, but what can Northwood Shreveport do to stop the Kendra Williams show from becoming a highly rated event. Because I've seen Kendra Williams just be an absolute beast all season long. But, of course, there's other matchups going to be kind of popping up down the line. 
Who are you going to wind up facing off against in the quarters is the million-dollar question. And we'll probably talk about that later on. Hopefully, we'll talk about it next Saturday when we kind of move forward and get you a recap of what happened in round two of the postseason. And there was a lot of really fun ones to kind of break down. But, of course, he's not the only guest we're going to have on. Of course, at 1030, fingers and toes crossed here. We get Steve Lassen aboard the program to talk a little college football. And, you know, he was definitely apologetic about not being able to join the show, but sometimes I'm like, hey, you didn't join the program on LSU Bama Day and LSU won. I can live with that. <laughs> but he texted me, like, right after the program wrapped up. He's like, hey, man, like, I had some issues. Apparently there's, like, some cell reception issues over in his neck of the woods in Tennessee. So hopefully those issues are resolved. And he texted me and told me, hey, like, I should be able to do it. He apologized profusely. I'm like, hey, man, no worries. Sometimes these things happen. We move on, and we're able to kind of, as I call it, call it in the ring. We handled it well. We'll talk to him about what's going on in college football. Obviously, probably spent a good bit of time talking about the LSU-Bama game, LSU getting that huge win. He's like, we can, LSU has a 24-hour rule. We've got a seven-day rule. Once LSU plays again or that pre- the pregame show starts at 4 o'clock, that's when we flush the toilet and move on to what's going on with Ole Miss, and then we can start talking about what happens next. Because this is a special opportunity. Eight years since they last beat the Crimson Tide. And, of course, we'll have Ross Jackson, all Saints considered, top of the Saints, like, mind-boggling loss, I think would be the proper terminology there. It was a mind-boggling loss last Sunday to the Atlanta Falcons. What that means going forward, Will Clapp taking over for Andrew Speed, who's out for the next six weeks with an arm injury. You have Marshawn Lattimore. He's MIA. There's a lot of question marks on this team. There's a lot of injuries at this point in time. It seems like the wrong place and the wrong time to have that happen. We'll talk to him. Hopefully he can talk us down off the ledge, preferably speaking. And we'll be back with more. We're going to take a quick timeout again. When we come back, we're going to have our guy Steve Lassen aboard. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Jeff Biggs with another big Saturday for college football. From the preps. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. To the pros. Kick ass on one. And everywhere in between. Let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Live from the 237 Roof Studios, as always, and we're going to kind of start thing, keep the ball rolling, and flip it on over to college football talk. And there's one guy, and one guy only, I don't mind talking college football with anybody. I don't mind talking college football with anybody, but hey, we got time to kind of talk about it in-depth across the country where the guy Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. He's on the Arco Equipment Hotline. Steve, what's going on, Migo? Hey, Clint. It's good to catch up with you and talk some college football. I was curious if the party has stopped at all in Louisiana this week. Uh, What a weekend for uh, uh, the teams in the state of Louisiana last week. Every single college team won last week, Steve, especially the big one that everybody's been talking about. I think this is a big reason why the party's still going on 
And, you know, I mentioned it earlier in the program about the fact that like, we weren't able to have you on last week. Honestly, if LSU beats Bama and we don't have you on that show, I think it all works out, right, right, Steve? Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, if, if you're LSU, what a program kind of defining win uh, for, for Ed Orgeron. I mean, a guy that when he was hired, you, you kind of see that it was doubted. And now after a couple years, has LSU ranked number one? The big win over Alabama, uh, not to mention great job for Ed Orgeron, just bringing in Joe Brady, recruiting Joe Burrow. He's put all the pieces in place. And, you know, for this, this win to go into Alabama and slay the Giants, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty kind of program-defining moment for Ed Orgeron, and, and I think he deserves a lot of credit uh, and potentially the coach of the year at the end of the season. I think he has every opportunity to win coach of the year. Joe Brady, every opportunity to wind up winning the Broyles Award. He's one of the many finalists. But it's just crazy to think that LSU, eight years of kind of just dealing with that, they finally scratched that eight-year itch they've had of finally beating Alabama but can they keep this thing going and make this a lot more competitive rivalry than it has maybe over the last few years? Absolutely. I mean, LSU's biggest obstacle to catching Alabama in the SEC West has been the offense. And now they have Joe Brady. Um, he's one of the rising stars in college football. He's made an instant impact on that offense. And certainly LSU is going to lose Joe Burrow at the end of the season. But LSU's always recruited well at receiver. Now that they have this offense in place, I think you'll see a lot more quarterbacks that are kind of high up on the recruiting rankings the next couple of years suddenly get more interested in LSU. So I think this the switch in the offense has helped LSU close the gap. And I also think just kind of from a, a you know, big-picture perspective, Clemson has slayed the giant in Alabama. They've kind of knocked away that layer of, in, you know, kind of invincibility. LSU's done that now too in Tuscaloosa. And I think kind of once you beat Alabama, not really as afraid of them. They're kind of the boogeyman in the room. And now that LSU's done it, I think they can keep doing it. So I think it's very sustainable for LSU. And I think we'll see Joe Brady uh, be rewarded very well at the end of the season and rightfully so, so that LSU can keep him on staff. Soccer in now with Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports, so they're going to wind up having to pay a pretty penny for that one. But now we talk about it. One of the things I want to talk to you about last week was the college football playoff and the way the poll kind of shaked out. But now things seem like they're way they're way they should be. You got LSU top ranked, the top dog. Number two is Ohio State. Number three is you have three is Clemson. Number four is Georgia. What do you say about the way the college football playoff rankings stand right here, right now? The committee finally got it right. You know, LSU should have been number one, at, you know, after week 10. And, they, were, they of course, they made the switch after this week. I, I think just if, if it's Ohio State versus LSU in the national championship game, it'd be a heck of a national championship game. But I think Clemson is also in the discussion. We've got a three-team breakaway at the top. I think where the intrigue starts is that number four spot. Right now, Georgia – with the good wins over Notre Dame and Florida holding off Alabama, the big question is going to be whether or not Alabama finishes out the season with you know, by beating Auburn, beating Mississippi State, and can they make it in with a pretty light resume versus maybe a one-loss Oklahoma or a one-loss Oregon or Utah. I think that's where we're headed. Certainly Minnesota 
who has something to say about it, but I, I think the, the Golden Gophers have had a nice season. I think they're going to fall short uh, of beating Ohio State. So I, I think right now the committee's got it right, but they're going to have a really hard decision in, in December if things kind of play out like we think in trying to sift through Alabama versus Oklahoma versus Oregon. You brought up Minnesota, Steve, and I think it's a perfect time to kind of segue into that matchup later to, today with Minnesota and Iowa squaring off. Minnesota traveling to Iowa City. And last I checked, Steve, I'm not mistaken, Minnesota hasn't beaten Iowa since some uh, cash money was taken over for the 9-9 into the 2000. <laughs> yeah, I think I got a few cash money CDs somewhere laying around here. I'll have to <laughs> dig them out at some point. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this is a rivalry game. You know, Minnesota and Iowa, you know, they played for the Floyd of Rosedale. And I think just, you know, this Iowa defense at home has been very good this season. And it's also a perfect letdown spot for Minnesota after the big win against Penn State last week. So I'll be curious to see how P.J. Flex team responds on the road. They're very close to the Big Ten West Championship. They're still in the mix to be a playoff team. So this is a huge opportunity. But I think when you're looking at this game, you know, certainly it is a letdown spot for Minnesota. But Iowa offensively this season, they have really struggled, uh, especially in Big Ten games. So if Minnesota can kind of get to 24 points or so, I think they should feel pretty good about going on the road and getting the victory. Talk right now with Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports, and we'll kind of flip it over, move on up to what's going on late, early in the next hour or so, especially when you look at the Alabama Crimson Tide and Mississippi State matchup which has taken an interesting turn. I don't know if you saw this or not, but inside Davis Wade Stadium, apparently the PA has announced there are bats. Is that going to be the key to victory for the Bulldogs to come away with a win over Alabama? Hey, when you play Alabama, you got to throw everything at them, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, Mississippi State breaking out everything today. But, I mean, I think the big question is whether or not Tua plays. Uh, you know, Mac Jones was in, was in warm-ups with the number one offense. Tua has been questionable all week. We have seen that when Alabama goes and plays Mississippi State, they do have a kind of a little bit of a sluggish factor, especially post-LSU. I still think when you watch Mississippi State this year, they just have so many issues on both sides of the ball that even if it is Mac Jones today, I still think that Alabama rebounds. It may just not be the 48 to nothing type of score that maybe Nick Saban wants. They may just need to survive and get to a healthy for that big Auburn game in a few weeks. I'd have to agree with you, and later on today, it's going to be a, a one thirty kickoff. I think everybody's going to want to see this one, a top 25 matchup between 23rd-ranked Navy, and they're traveling over to take on the Golden Domers, top of Notre Dame, 16th-ranked. What do you say about this matchup? Because it feels like, to me, Notre Dame should be the prohibitive favorite in this one. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do think Navy is a much-improved team from last season, especially on defense. And, of course, Malcolm Perry, their quarterback, had a really nice season, too. Navy still alive for a, for a berth in the New Year's Six Bowl game. So they really, if they win this one, they're going to be up there next week with Memphis and Cincinnati in the rankings. So it's huge for Navy from that perspective. But I also, I also think you know, going on the road and winning in South Bend is very difficult for Navy. And sure, Notre Dame's had some injuries on defense. I still think they get it done. It may be a lot like the Army-Michigan game where it's kind of a little bit tense for Notre Dame for a while there um, and because of the way Navy plays, but I think the Fighting Irish get it done.
And I kind of have to agree with you. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see those two teams face off, but a big one in the SEC going down. They call it good old-fashioned hatred, and that is the traditional matchup. Georgia-Auburn, of course, talk about Georgia being ranked fourth. But, of course, Auburn has definitely been a team that surprised some programs this year. Obviously, with freshman quarterback Bo Nix, it feels like the, the state of Alabama is Bo leaving in this man to kind of get this team over that hump, and they're going to be having a tough contest against the Georgia Bulldogs, despite it being at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Which way are you leaning on this one? This is a really tough matchup to get a read on because Auburn's defensive line might be the best in college football. They're going up against the Georgia offensive line, which might be the best in college football. And we've seen both of these teams offensively have been inconsistent. Auburn, especially on the road, has struggled. Um, Georgia looked good against Florida, um, but they didn't look very good last week against Missouri. They've been very inconsistent. So I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think if you have to depend on, even though Auburn is at home, you need a couple plays on offense. I think you have to give the edge to Jake Fromm. So I like the Bulldogs in a close one. A lot of storylines here, though, too. I mean, Auburn, you know, Gus Malzahn, the Arkansas soap opera is back on for Georgia, needing to win out to make the playoffs. So there's a lot at stake in addition to the traditional rivalry aspect of this team. But I'll take the Bulldogs in a close one. We'll go through one more kind of big game in college football with Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports, and we'll get to something a little bit more entertaining. And that is Oklahoma-Baylor, the primetime matchup on ABC Obviously, Oklahoma needs to win this one, and it feels like they've got the advantage, at least from my point of view, the notoriety. What do you say about the Baylor Bears and how they've kind of turned things around over the last couple seasons, now currently 9-0, and kind of knocking on the door? It's gonna They had to have a bigger knock, but potentially knocking on the door of a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, they are. You know, Baylor, uh, maybe a little bit underrated, 13th in the playoff rankings this week but also not getting a lot of respect. And I think some of that is just how they've won. They've won close against West Virginia. They were pretty fortunate to beat Texas Tech. So they've won in close fashion. And, you know, kind of a little bit of a surprise, Baylor leads the Big 12 in scoring defense. So this will be a good test for Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma. The Sooners have not really played all that well since the Kansas State game. I mean, they, they, they lost to Kansas State. The second half last weekend's Iowa State, they need to rebound and they need to win impressively considering they are 10th in the playoff rankings and potentially stuck behind Alabama and the Pac-12 championship. So even though I like the moment for Baylor, it's in Waco, big-time atmosphere tonight, I still think the Big 12 championship runs through Oklahoma, and I think Oklahoma gets it done tonight. And it's definitely going to be a lot of fun to see these two teams face off later on. But, of course, now we've got to kind of flip things over to something that's been talked about on Acadia in a sports station. That's what could happen in a few short weeks, December 7th. And let's just put out the hypotheticals. We see Georgia win out, and it'll be LSU-Georgia squaring off in the SEC title game. And if both those teams want to see you know Alabama not be involved in the college football playoff, could you wind up seeing potentially LSU pull a Butch Coolidge in Pulp Fiction and be told to take a dive? <laughs> Man, I, you know, that's the best way for the SEC to assure themselves of two teams in the college football playoff is if LSU loses to Georgia. 
You know, I, I will say this, and I, we'll have to see how things play out, but a Georgia team with wins over Auburn, uh, with Notre Dame in Florida, depending on what happens the rest of the way to Oregon and Oklahoma, we could have a two-loss Georgia team in the mix, especially if they lose close to LSU. It's certainly a possibility. It's further down the list. So I, my guess is if you ask me right now to pick, I, I feel pretty confident LSU wins that game. But a desperate Georgia team uh, will not be an easy out for the Tigers. So I'm going to go that the, the route that the LSU will just take care of business and we'll see what happens. But uh, there's still a couple weeks for this to play out. Steve, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, sounds great, Clint. Look forward to it. Enjoy the games today. Oh, I definitely will, Steve. You can follow him on Twitter, at Athlon Steven. And it's still amazing to me that, yes, at Davis Wade Stadium, there are bats. Not that kind of bat. Not Batman. Just regular old bats. Maybe the key to victory for that team if they want to beat Alabama. We'll be back with more. Taking a quick timeout. You're listening to Under the Under the Dome on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp. But Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? He's gone to 11. Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And we're going to go from bats. Not those kind of bats. I'm telling you, not not Batman. Just actual bats inside Davis Wade Stadium. To dare I say, bat bleep crazy. Stop playing that Batman sounder. But we got to kind of keep things going. And I want to talk a little bit about Maybe the biggest topic in sports talk right here, right now, and that is what happened Thursday night football. And Miles Garrett and his crazy antics being very, very trash. I'm just going to put it bluntly. He was straight up trash in how things went. Thursday night football, eight seconds left. Here's the call courtesy of Westwood One. So third and 29 with 14 seconds left. Rudolph will dump it off to the left side. Trey Edmonds, the catch, sprints out of bounds. And a fight at the nine-yard line. Flags are thrown. The Browns and the Steelers, and Garrett just threw a punch. And Pittsburgh retaliating. Marquise Pouncey was kicking in there, and flags are flying. With eight seconds left, the Steelers are running from the sideline to join in. And this one is going to end in ugly fashion. And here's the thing. like I've been seeing everybody's take over the last several days and how much of a just ridiculousness it's been to see the Miles Garrett situation. He's suspended for the rest of the year, probably going to be suspended for a lot longer than that. I put it out on Twitter, and this is just something I threw out there almost jokingly, but I'm starting to think, 
maybe just maybe this might be the right thing for him because imagine how like much more you'd have people want to see him in the XFL and get paid like peanuts because you know they're not getting paid like Jack compared to what you'd be wanting getting paid in the NFL. Just saying. My theory is he's suspended for the rest of the year and he has to go on go to the XFL. Just ship him off there. You have him be paid peanuts by the Houston Outlaws or whatever team you want to put him on. Not the Houston Outlaws, the Houston Roughnecks, excuse me. I think it's the Dallas Outlaws. Too many teams. I have eight. I don't really, I'm trying to remember all the teams. The only one I care about is the Houston Roughnecks when it comes to the XFL. That's where I'm at right now with Miles Garrett and his antics. And sure, everybody wants to say, oh, hey, he's a nice guy. He's got a lot of different thoughts. He's, he's actually he's a poet and all this. Like, you know, you can do that, but at the same time, there's no reason to be throwing your helmet at a guy. Period. End of story. I don't care what was said in that conversation after the tackle. Maybe he tackled a little too hard, and he said, and Mason Rudolph might have said something along the lines of that certain word that you never want to say. He might have said it. He might have said it. Even then, I think that might not be like the thing that makes you say, go, let's go and throw a helmet at him. And that's aggravated assault, brother. Like, you cannot be doing that. If you do that in the streets, you're going to get arrested. You're going to get popped for that. And Mason Rudolph is actually not going to press charges on him whenever he actually, I'd say, should. Is the fact that like, you've got to think about it. Mason Rudolph, just a few weeks ago, I believe like a month and a half ago, he wound up getting hit extremely hard. Probably one of the, the hardest hits I've seen in a long time. That wasn't like what we saw with Vontez Burfick, how he damn near decapitated a player on the Indianapolis Colts. I feel like that one was just, it, that hit, I can still see, like, Mason Rudolph's body basically went limp. And think he was able to be, re- able to return to the field is it felt like the Steelers were just, just going to wind up having a whole ordeal trying to figure out what's going to happen now. Ben Roethlisberger out for the year. Mason Rudolph. It'd be like the Washington Redskins last season where you're kind of having to go through a carousel of quarterbacks and try to figure out what the hell are we going to do now, especially late in the season. That's going to be That would have been tough for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Thankfully, it wasn't as bad as it could have been because you could have had him get hit upside the head or hit with the crown of that helmet on his head. He's already been concussed probably multiple times, not just in the NFL, college, probably some high school, and he gets hit in the head with enough force. He might actually, not, he might have gone limp again, and that would have been a lot. That would have been a lot scarier of a situation. And then we, the conversation would no longer be about, oh hey, you know. Like the fact that he hit him, we'd be talking about a whole lot of other things, and it would be a bad look, especially with the fact that it was Thursday night football, prime time. Maybe just maybe that'll be the reason why Thursday night football will go away. But I don't wish that upon anybody because that is absolutely awful. What happened last night, or Thursday night, I should say, Thursday night football, Miles Garrett is a complete joke. He should be gone from the league altogether. But. They're going to give him another chance probably in 2020 after he serves out another eight games or so. Maybe he's suspended for the next two years. He's suspended indefinitely. That means the rest of the season and more likely than not into next season. That's what I'm telling you. Just suspend him and send him off to the XFL. I'm trying to figure out a way to, to just 
pawn him off to the XFL, let him do his thing to where he's getting paid pennies on the dollar, and he can move on. That's my thought process. We go ahead and take a quick timeout, wrap it up hour number one in style. We'll be back with more of Under the Dome. Hour two up next on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone, to our number two of Under the Dome with CD. On Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. We're still basking a little bit in the afterglow seven days later of LSU beating Bama. Then again, when you beat a t- when you haven't beaten a team in eight years, scratching that itch is absolutely amazing. It's a great feeling, but more importantly, I came close to my prediction last week during my one last take segment. I got to play it one more time. It's not a prediction. It's a spoiler. LSU beats Bama 42-38. Very close. Very, very close. I'm disappointed we didn't hit the magic number, 46-41. We came close. We came close. If only Bama knew how to kick a field goal late in that ball game. And more importantly, I'd say LSU that missed an extra point that was blocked. Maybe just maybe we'd be talking about the final score being 42-38. It's just what I was hoping would happen, but it is what it is. Hopefully you're enjoying the show so far. Hour one in the books. Hour two getting kickstarted right about now. 11.30 we'll have Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked On Saints podcast. We'll have him to talk about what's going on. With the New Orleans Saints after the tough loss to the Atlanta Falcons last week. Also, we'll obviously talk a little bit about LSU-Bama because why not? We had them on on LSU-Bama Day. Hey, we had a lot of fun with it. But also in this hour, I'll spend some time talking about the Cajuns, getting ready for a big game against South Alabama. Odds are they'll win. It's a huge 27.5 point spread. Thanks to the NBC Sports scores out for hooking me up on that one. That's the last I saw. The spread out of my check a little bit later on. Maybe talk to you about that. And a whole lot more with the Cajuns. Because obviously, the Cajuns have themselves set up for a lot of success. You can very well be 10-2 and two at the beginning of the year. I'm going to have to dig this up in the archives. But I said at the beginning of the year, the Cajuns were going 9-3. and three. It was optimistic. So much for being optimistic. It seems almost, in the words of my cousin Vinny, dead on balls accurate. And that is the way I want things to be for me. I would love to see it be a 10-2 season, but trust me, I want to be 9-3 so I can come in here 
in the 237 Roof Studios presented by Lafayette Roofing. And be carrying the huevos in a wheelbarrow because I've been feeling pretty good the Monday after the UL Monroe game if the Cajuns in the regular season 9-3. and three. Of course, not if they lose to UL Monroe. I think they wind up winning over UL Monroe, who's definitely been like a weird flex of a team. They've been able to get wins in conference, but in terms of their overall record, it doesn't show how good they've been like just down the stretch. But they're going to have to be tested up against Georgia State, probably one of the best programs in in the Sun Belt, I would say, besides App State and the Cajuns. That's top, that's like your top tier, and it's weird because it's something I've talked about a lot in the past is the fact that the Cajuns are the top tier right now, and it's App State, Cajuns, Georgia State, and outside of that, it's not even close. He's like tier two. I think Troy may be in tier three, which is weird to say. He's a big, a few years ago, we were talking about them being one of the top teams in that conference. Neil Brown departing, Chip Lindsey coming in, a offensive minded coach instead of being more defense minded in an in a Sunbelt conference that is known for being hashtag the fun belt, where high scoring rules you pound the over. But then again, this year has been weird all around just in terms of football, because we talked about a lot looking at the season of LSU and the resume. It's very backwards. you got LSU being dominant with just complete abandon of anything worth of, like, defense. They're, they're, it's not they're abandoning it. It's the fact that the defense isn't necessarily having to – you don't have to be overly reliant on that offense. I think that's the greatest thing about it. You're not having to, like, worry as much about, you know – the defense, because the offense is helping you out. You're not you're not having to be bailed out by the defense and special teams performances. You're getting it done with the offensive side of the football, and that's great. The Cajuns, their defense may be one of the best we've seen in a long time. Haven't allowed 30 points since the opener. Yes, since the opener against Mississippi State. They lost one game, 17-7. But outside of that, that defense has been outstanding. Almost had a shutout last week, if not for a garbage touchdown against Coastal Carolina. We can talk about the Cajuns a little bit later on. But I want to stick to LSU Ole Miss. This could very well be a come-down game. Bring, this would be one of those games where the players are coming down off a of cloud nine. They're getting ready for a game where you're trying to kind of keep the troops together the next two weeks. Because you got Matt Luke, who somehow is going to keep his job, according to rumor in innuendo, in Oxford. And you know, more power to him. Congratulations if that's true. Haven't seen any official word of him getting a contract extension. But you got to think, you know, that's setting you up to have Matt Luke stick around as the coach of the Rebels for quite some time. For at least the next, like, I'd say three years. And I think they're going to give him a chance. I think it's largely because of the fact that, you know, he was willing to work with this program and get them to be at least somewhat relevant in the conversation of the SEC. But that's going to take a little bit more time now because obviously the whole sanctions that you had to deal with with Hugh Freeze, now those are kind of starting to fade away and that stake is getting off of it. I wouldn't be surprised if they renew him for a little bit longer than maybe some would or just because of that. Because you want to see what he can do with his recruiting class and his ingredients after all the sanctions are gone, 
You want to see what he does. And typically, I would say it takes about three years to see a college recruiting class for any program, especially a Power 5 program like in the SEC or even the Big Ten, which is why I've been surprised to see Jim Harbaugh keep his job despite the fact that the expectation is Michigan beats Ohio State and wins a Big Ten title, makes it the college football playoff. Michigan is not like LSU's expectations. They are sky high because Michigan is a name-brand program. And why am, I, why am I bringing up the Wolverines? Because, well, they're on the TV behind me, so I can talk about them a little bit. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is the fact that the LSU Tigers in Michigan definitely have some similar arcs, but Ole Miss is a team that hasn't performed to the standard that maybe a lot of us thought they would. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with this game tonight. I think it's largely because of the fact that I want to see who steps their game up the the most in this ballgame. I think we see Joe Burrow have a great performance. The Heisman's already in the bag. Like, I'm sorry. Jalen Hurts could have a 700-yard game and 10 touchdowns. I still think Joe Burrow's winning the Heisman. And I'll tell you why. Because he beat Bama in the way he beat Bama, putting up over 300 yards, a lot of touchdowns, and doing something that hadn't been done since Nick Saban was head coach and put up 40 points on that crimson and cream, you know what, that derriere, putting on them on wax, 46-41, a all-around great performance. But let's see what the defense does now against a team like Ole Miss. Because they should be able to, and I say emphasis on should, sweep the series against Mississippi because they beat Mississippi State earlier in the year, the Bulldogs. And here's what I'm going to say. LSU is going to win in dominant fashion. Ole Miss is going to get held to, I'd say, 13 or 14 points at most. That's where I'm putting it at. I talked about it during Ben's show. I think this defense is getting better and can be good enough to hold a team like a Mississippi State down to just 14 points. You heard me right. Derek Stingley Jr., he's not going to have – this is the thing. It also helps the fact that Ole Miss is more of a one-dimensional offense. They're more on the they're more of a ground game offense. They're more of an LSU offense circa three, four years ago. Very old school approach. And that's gonna wind up working in LSU's favor because LSU has a strong front line. And if you can kind of handcuff them and take out that run game, they can have a whole lot of fun and really tear it up. You don't they don't have a DK Metcalf there anymore. They don't have a quality quarterback like Jordan Tamu, as we've seen in the past, he looked he's looked good in the past in matchups against LSU. I can tell you this is going to wind up being a one-sided affair. LSU is going to win and win handily. I think the American dream, Ed Ogeron, or should I say the Louisiana dream, I'll talk about that a little bit later on in the program, he's going to have a lot of fun talking about it. And Ross Jackson... All Saints consider we're going to have fun talking about the Saints. But after a quick timeout, we'll kind of talk about what's going on with those Louisiana Raging Cajuns, not just on the football field, but I'll talk a little bit about the, let's say, the Cajuns on the hardwood. They've definitely looked good to start the season. I'll give you my thoughts on that and much, much more. I'm going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break. 
By the way, for those wondering, you got Alabama up 14 nothing, like two minutes into the ball game. You heard me right, 12.54 left. Alabama already up 14 zip. We'll be back with more after this. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with the CD on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. And I have to say, to a certain extent, the Cajuns are a lot like Kazuchika Okada. They are the rainmaker when it comes to getting things done offensively. But I think the defensive side of the football has been the biggest surprise of them all this season. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that you've gotten a lot of those key cogs back that you missed out on. Last year, I mean, we could talk about Zion Hill up, down, sideways. Chauncey Manack has definitely been a defensive MVP in my mind. That team all the way around has looked way better than maybe some of us expected heading into the season. I think it's largely because of the fact that you have things set up better on all sides. It's All three phases look good. And it helps the fact you have a lot of great talent. Obviously, the three-headed monster that is... Elijah Mitchell, Trey Regis, Reagan McCallay. Then, of course, you got even the fourth guy in Chris Smith. He's looked good in the past for the Cajuns this season. I think that is absolutely the biggest story heading into this ballgame today is can the Cajuns do something they haven't done since 2012 and since 2006 in conference play when they beat FAU in a shutout? And that's something that's kind of eluded them. For a long, long time, and of course, I mentioned 2012. That's because they played Lamar and shut them out. But technically, that game has since been vacated. So it kind of doesn't count, but it does because it's in the media guide. I want That's how I know that's the last time that happened. And I hated to see a garbage-time touchdown take that away because I would have loved to have seen the Cajuns' defense get a shutout. Especially against a program last year, if you know, if you don't remember last year, Coastal Carolina actually beat the Cajuns on their home turf. First year under Billy Napier, and they lost to a Coastal Carolina team that they should have beaten. And if you remember what the talk was after that game, the following Monday is is Billy. Uh, is this Billy Napier living up to the hype? Is he living up to the expectations that we've set so high for him? Right now, I think we can say that program woke up after the Coastal Carolina game. You could say the same about the App State-Troy games that they had because they bounced back and got wins. But I feel like the fact they were able to get over that and win over a Coastal Carolina team that definitely loves running a little bit of that triple option, they not just like beat them, they shut them down. Like that's locking down a defense. Locking down an offense and making sure you can take care of your business. And they get into the fourth quarter, they were shutting them out in the late touchdown. Cost them, but I love what I've seen from the Cajuns defensively. 
Offensively, no surprises really. I think Levi Lewis is that he started to become more of the quarterback we expected him to be. Now, if that's sustainable over the next three weeks, that's the big million-dollar question. Because, of course, if he's heading into the form that we expected from him at the beginning of the year, in these final four weeks, heading into the Sunbelt title game, that's huge. And a big reason why is because of the fact that you have the next three weeks. A South Alabama team that's a bunch of jobbers, a 1-7 team, head coach is probably going after this year. I wouldn't be surprised. I mentioned earlier that three years is usually the general rule in terms of building a program and working with your own ingredients so that so you can determine what kind of head coach and what quality of a head coach you are because if you're able to continue to kind of reload with your ingredients and these guys are making a consistent, and I'm saying consistent, impact, the sky's the limit. Brother, the sky is the limit. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they do tonight whenever you look at that South Alabama game. It's a win for me. It's obviously a win for a lot of people. Because if you lose that game, that is just a wholly disappointing like discussion to have. Is what do you do now? You lost to a South Alabama South Alabama team that only had one win of the year. That'd be a lot like what hap- what would have happened a couple weeks ago if you lost to Texas State. You cannot lose these games. I've talked about it before. These are games you should win against an Alabama, against a South Al team that is a joke. Next week you've got Troy, a team with a lot of pedigree, but they haven't lived up to the hype with Chip Lindsey in his first year, and that's a shocker when you think about it because the Trojans, towards the end of the Neil Brown era, were absolutely fantastic. They were feasting on opponents. They were making it look easy. Now, Troy's sitting there 4-5 and five, towards the bottom of the rankings in the Sun Belt East Division. The division, they were hotly contested in heading into week, the final week of the season when they took on App State, determined who was going to wind up winning the East. That was the game that everybody was watching. Fast forward to now, the Cajuns and App State seemingly are on a collision course, but of course, we'll see what happens tonight whenever App State and Georgia State square off. If Georgia State wins, this creates a lot of different storylines over the next couple weeks. Is it's Now it'll be who goes where. Is if Georgia State wins their, their penultimate game next week, and Georgia Southern does as well, that sets up a million-dollar question. Who's going to win between Georgia Southern and and Georgia State, the in-state rivalry on the final week of the season is going to determine who moves on and goes to Cajun Field. <clears throat> That's the biggest thing. Georgia State, Georgia Southern on the 30th is that game where it determines the Sunbelt Conference. Is I think, and I think a lot of people would agree, is, and of course, a lot. there's a lot of different things that could happen with this as well. You could have App State. If App State wins tonight, I think their their fate is sealed. They've got everything under control. Because who does App State have the next couple weeks? They I talk about Jabronis. Oh, they've got Jabronis in spades the next two weeks. Texas State, are you kidding me? Jake Spavitol, great first year head coach. He's definitely shown improvement compared to the previous regime. But then you got Troy, a underperforming Troy that'll be coming off a potential tough loss to the Raging Cajuns. 
Give me App State winning out. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if Troy, if excuse me, if App State loses to Georgia State tonight, though. That's kind of the million-dollar question is what happens there. I mean, a couple weeks ago, you had a freak like weather situation in Statesboro, and they gave App State the Blues. Could we see Georgia State and Georgia Southern be the only two teams that could beat them? And out of the fact, that's going to be – actually, excuse me. App State, Georgia Southern won on the road in beautiful Boone, North Carolina. The Rock has been an absolute like place where dreams go to die. Now App State is traveling to Georgia State in the ATL where the players play. And trust me, I would be surprised if Georgia State – Gives them a whole lot of hell. And then it winds up setting things up for an interesting like next two weeks in the Sunbelt Conference. Because, of course, the Cajuns <clears throat> have to win out. The Cajuns absolutely, positively have to win out if they want to secure the bag and get to the conference title game for the second straight year. The only thing the team that's standing there can want to be a real pain in the neck is Yule Monroe. They've got Georgia Southern. Coastal, and the Cajuns. They currently have two losses in conference play. If they lose tonight, or this afternoon, I should say, to Georgia Southern, that makes the Cajuns' path a little bit easier. You don't have to worry quite as much about it. But, of course, Cajuns need to handle their business at home against the Warhawks. Because that's an in-state rivalry. That's the cigar game, as Billy Napier has definitely kind of turn that into in his first year as the head coach of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Honestly, I'm just looking forward to seeing what happens tonight. We're taking it one game at a time, but it's something interesting to keep an eye on if you're a fan of the hashtag FunBell, baby. We'll take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we got a lot more to talk about with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered Locked On Saints podcast. Heading into the big game against the Bucks, And we'll also look back at last week's puzzling loss to the Atlanta Falcons. Back with more after this on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah. On 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com, live for the 237 Roof Studios. As always, it's time to kind of chop things up with our guy Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked On Saints Podcast. Ross, what's going on, my good brother? Hey, you're really doing great, man. Always glad to be here. Enjoying this Saturday, man. Looking forward to tomorrow's game. Exactly. It's looking forward to tomorrow's game, but of, of course, we got to kind of start things off with something a little bit different. You know, we just look back at last weekend. I definitely think a lot of people felt this way after the game. Daughter, did you do it? Yes. What did it cost? 
everything. And, of course, we're talking about the LSU beating Bama last Saturday and then the Saints lose to the Falcons. It feels like one thing happens, it was a great thing, it costs a little bit. Yeah, I know, absolutely. It's as if the state of Louisiana sacrificed the rivalry game for the Saints losing horribly to the Falcons at home to travel on the road to beat LSU. And to be completely honest with you, with the, uh, you know, the – just the, the situation that the Saints are in right now within their division, they're standing within the conference. I've become okay with it, but uh, it, it, it took a lot out of me to watch the Saints drop 126-9 to the Falcons at home for sure. Thankfully, if, if only they had allowed 28 points, I think maybe then things would have changed. <laughs> right. It just felt like it was inevitability there. It's like, come on, just just, a lot, just just give them up a safety and then, then you'll be able to rally back and win. I mean, we've seen it happen before. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those things where, you know, look, the Saints were actually, you know, the game was pretty well in hand, uh, or at least they were in tracking distance for quite a while throughout the game, probably until the fourth quarter or so. Uh, and then Marcus Williams get the interception with four minutes left. The Saints were only down by two touchdowns. He just kind of felt like, well, I mean, we've seen the Saints score two touchdowns in four minutes before. Like, we've seen Drew Brees do this before. We've seen the Falcons give this up before. Uh, so there was still confidence deep in the game, and that's good, uh, you know, to, to have a team that fans can still be confident in even that late. And even though they weren't able to come through this week, uh, I don't expect, or last week rather, I don't expect to see any repeats uh, throughout the rest of the season. I think that, you know, the beginning of the year last year, they had the 48-40 to punch in the third wake-up call uh, against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I think this was that, that uh, last week's game was this year's version of that very moment. And I like the comparison a lot, but I'm just just looking at that game in its own microscope. What do you think was the biggest cause of that? Do you think it was more the fact that you know that offensive line just couldn't keep up with Atlanta's pass rush, especially after Andrews Pete went down with injury? Now he'll be out for the foreseeable future. Do you think it was more of that, or it was something entirely different? I think execution as a whole uh, was a challenge for the Saints offense. I mean, you watched them run the ball 11 times. Uh, it was a what was it, an 83 to 17% split in terms of uh, run pass out of a certain personnel group. And so it was just out of a very heavy personnel group. It, it, it was just an odd game altogether. I mean, when you look at what the Saints offense did, where they tried to rely on, and they couldn't go anywhere. And I think some of it had to do, too, I do want to give credit to Raheem Morris, the new defensive back coach over in Atlanta, who brought in a new philosophy. He was previously their wide receiver coach, transitioned to being their secondary coach, or, sorry, defensive backs coach, um, just during the bye week. And it just kind of gave those guys a brand-new approach, a brand-new way to look at the game that's beyond here's what you need to be doing as a defensive back, but was able to also give them, this is what these guys are going to be doing as wide receivers because he has that knowledge. And so that worked out really well for the Falcons, who did a great job making Drew Brees move on to his next few progressions. There were very very few times where he was able to go to his first read. Five out of the six sacks that the Falcons brought up uh, in this game happened when Drew Brees had to move on into his deeper progression. And so they did a great job at that. And the Saints just had a lot of flaws executing on the offensive line uh, through the passing game and then just completely just roamed away from the run game, even though it was working. It, it was actually working because Alvin Kamara was averaging six yards per run on the ground, but you know they only ran with him four times. Let's talk right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked on Saints podcast time of the New Orleans Saints. A tough loss last week, and I brought up Andrews Pete. 
He's injured out for the next, I believe, six to eight weeks with that injury. Now Will Clapp is going to fill in. What can you say about the former LSU Tiger? Can he want to filling that gap because it felt like maybe he was a little bit out of sorts early on last week. Yeah, I mean, I think you you look at Will Clapp as being the guy that really has found his role with the Saints and being that sixth offensive lineman, the guy that can come in and play in the jumbo sets that can line up as an eligible receiver uh, and, and, and block and, and deliver some extra pass and run protection. But now you're seeing him you know, slide into the interior, which is one of the reasons why they, they kept him along. He actually beat out Nick Easton, who they signed immediately after Max Unger retired. Uh, he ended up beating out him and, uh, and Cameron Tom ended up going to uh, injured reserve. But you know, essentially he won that role in the interior to be that guy to fill in. And so I think that you're going to see a better performance from Will Clapp when he's not being thrown into the mix as like he was last week, sort of like what we saw the difference between Teddy Bridgewater when he came in or Drew Brees against the Rams versus when he had you know a week to get ready into practice and to actually work with his team. So I think you'll see a better performance out of Will Clapp, but expect to see Nick Easton active and to be the top backup in the interior just in case you may need to work away from him or need to fill in Nick Easton into another position. The Saints do feel really good about their depth along the offensive line this season, but now's the time that they get to put it to test and actually learn what they have, uh, learn what they have in that selection. Hey, yeah, definitely. I think that's going to be the biggest thing to kind of look at heading into tomorrow's ball game is what happens with Will Clapp. But, of course, another thing, it feels like this team – just has a lot of injuries at the worst possible time. Is We can talk about it. November is probably the most important month on the Saints calendar because it's all divisional games all month long, and you got to get ready for a couple games. you got Tampa, you've got the Carolina Panthers game, and Atlanta on Thanksgiving night in the ATL. you got to think, like having these injuries, especially Marshawn Lattimore, this is going to be a week-to-week type thing. How long do you expect to see Lattimore be out on this one? Uh, I mean, that's a, that's tough because, you know, the reason why they're looking at it week to week is because they feel like he's going to be able to recover and get back, you know, quickly, but it's going to be an evaluation that they have to take sort of one step at a time. So I expect that you probably not see him back until maybe that Thursday night game. It's tough because it's a short week, but that Thanksgiving game against Atlanta, but I, I don't know. Um, you know, it kind of depends on how quickly he's able to recover from it. We see three different hamstring injuries of varying degrees right now for the Saints. You're seeing a week-to-week basis with uh, with Marshawn Lattimore. You're looking at Deontay Harris, who's also out, and then DeMario Davis is also on the injury report with a hamstring injury, but he's playing this week. So there's different degrees of what this hamstring can look like and thus different recovery times. So we'll see what happens with them. But, yeah, you know, you're right. The Saints right now, dealing with injuries actually at all three phases of their game with Andrew Pete on the offensive line. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore on the backside of the defense, and then Deontay Harris in the special teams game. So it's a lot for the Saints to overcome, and these division games are, are important, not just because they're within the division, but because right now the Saints actually could be tied, if they win this game, could be tied with the, uh, with the Green Bay Packers, but are going to lose the tiebreaker because of the common opponents they've won together, but also because of uh, the AFC. Uh, conference schedule and conference wins and losses. So, you know, every divisional loss also equals a conference loss. And so that puts you up against, you know, those tiebreakers with some of those other guys that are out there and that are playing pretty well this season in the conference. And just looking at the matchup tomorrow afternoon, I think obviously it's going to be a hotly contested. It's always weird, especially when the series goes to Raymond James Stadium between the Saints and the Bucks. <laughs> What's the big X factor for you tomorrow 
when it comes to the Saints getting a win tomorrow? Um, I'm looking at Alvin Kamara, and I'm looking at the run game. I think that's going to be a big part of it for the Saints' offense. Um, you know, they didn't really get the run game. Well, not really. I'm being generous. They didn't get the run game involved at all last week. Uh, and so I think that getting the run game involved, finding the appropriate way to split up, and appropriate just meaning what works best for the team, way to split up carries between Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara in the most effective way to produce there. Uh, so I think that's going to be a big part of it. I'll throw Jared Cook in there as well because the Saints are still struggling at the wide receiver position with Michael Thomas outplaying the rest of his wide receiver team, you know, the rest of his wide receiver core to no end. I mean, he is absolutely demolishing everything. Uh, but he's playing very well um, with the with the Bucks having just waived Vernon Hargreaves. He's in for a good game, but who else, who else is going to be a factor in the passing game? We saw Jared Cook be that guy last week. The Bucks are fourth worst in the NFL right now against defending tight ends, so this would be a good matchup for him. And over on the defensive side, it's going to be whoever slides over to become that other top cornerback opposite Eli Apple and the performance that they're going to have against Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, which is neither of which are, are good matchups. Stepping away from the Saints for a minute, Monday Night Football, we talked about it a lot last Saturday about the 49ers Seahawks game. That was absolutely huge when it comes to seeing how things were going to kind of turn out in terms of a potential buy and home field advantage. And now, Thankfully, even though you, you came away, you had a big L, things turned around and be, wound up being a, just a little bit better from our perspective because now it's not having to deal with an undefeated team early December. You're having to kind of now deal with a one-loss team, and now that you have that kind of punch in the face that you needed coming off the bye week, maybe just maybe this thing could wind up being a lot more fun in the next few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. That was a huge win because it ties up the Seattle Seahawks and the New Orleans Saints, who the Saints have a head-to-head victory over. It gives the uh, San Francisco 49ers one loss of the couple that I expected they'll get going through the end of the year here. So it puts the Saints in position to tie up with them later on in the season, probably about the time that they go head-to-head in Week 14. But it also gives the 49ers a common team loss against the team that the Saints won against. So that's a tiebreaker not there. So that's really great for them. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers have a game this weekend against the Arizona Cardinals, who they barely beat a couple of weeks ago, this time in uh, Santa Clara. So, you know, if you're, if you're a Saints fan, you're rooting for the Cardinals. You're hoping that the Cardinals can go to, to uh, Santa Clara and do to the 49ers with the Falcons went into New Orleans and did to the Saints. Uh, but even still, the 49ers, even if they don't drop a game this week, they have some tough matchups coming up, including some games against the Packers, the Ravens, and then, of course, against the Saints as well. And we talked about it at the beginning of the segment with the LSU Tigers getting the win over Alabama, and we talked off the air about it. Scale of one, and how hyped were you at halftime whenever LSU was up the way that they were? Oh, man, it was one of those things where, you know, you're sitting in front of the television, and, you know, it, it, it became, I think it will become for many of us, a where were you moment. I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly who I was with and what I was doing. And I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, holy crap, it's actually going to happen. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, the late surge happened, and then you start to get a little nervous because, you know, it's good football, uh, and that's what college football is. But what an incredible game. What an incredible performance by uh, by Coach Joe, Joe Burrow. Clyde uh, was hilarious. who was incredible in that game. Got a great compliment from uh, Drew Brees, who mentioned that he runs like Mark Ingram. Uh, just amazing. And it's incredible to see these guys uh, from LSU in Baton Rouge, or really in that case in Tuscaloosa, uh, having such a wide-reaching effect on 
the entire state of Louisiana as well as just the entire Gulf Coast region uh, and beyond because of the performance that they've been able to pull off and what they did against Alabama. It was an incredible showing. It, it was very exciting. It's something I'll remember for quite a while. Ross, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Have a great week. Who uh, that? Go Tigers. Who that? Go Tigers. Yes, indeed. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC. We're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break. And I mentioned I usually do one last take. Well, I actually got a message from somebody. He wants to join in on it. And I'll let him have his moment in the sun. And, of course, we're talking about the coach, Foe. He'll talk about the Louisiana dream, Ed Ogeron. But more importantly, he's got a speech for everybody. And I think you'll love it. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Every time C.D. takes the mic is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now let's get back to Under the Dome with C.D. on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Yes, indeed. That's what Cocho is. The Louisiana dream, baby. The hard time's over, daddy. And I'm absolutely looking forward to it. And, of course, that's what I'm calling it. Because guess what? Everybody in Louisiana deserves to have a hope and a dream. And that's what Ed Ogeron said during his press conference after he was announced as the full-time head coach of the Tigers. Never forget that. But I'm almost certain a lot of people will never forget the first time they heard Coach Foe. And Coach Foe has definitely been a fixture of this Saturday morning program from 10 a.m. to noon for quite some time. And he is definitely feeling himself. And you know what? I have to wholeheartedly agree with everything he was telling me off air right after the program ended. So he said, you know what? I want to join the show this week to tell people what I think. And you know what? I'm going to let him join the program right now. And he, re- he requested some walk-up music for the second straight week. Hey, it worked for the Alabama game. Why not keep it going? Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ed Fosraw, and it is the greatest privilege of my career to serve as the advocate for the beast incarnate, Joe Burrow, the conqueror of Alabama's home win streak, a streak that nearly lasted four years and ended in 60 minutes at the hands of Joe Burrow. And I understand how you feel, Alabama. You're in shock, which shows me your lack of intelligence because we hate to tell you we, tell you, we told you so, but ladies and gentlemen, we told you so. And you have the temerity to doubt the strategy of the greatest offensive mind in all of college football, Joe Brady, or the physical credentials of the most dominant athlete in college football ever, Joe Burrow. Let's get the one thing straight. Joe Burrow is not here to put smiles on people's faces, especially from that state, Alabama. Joe Burrow is here to shock the college football universe and put tears in the eyes of children from Alabama. Here's what really gets to me when the game was over. Those two things that call themselves announcers on CBS stood up 
and gave a standing ovation to the Crimson Tide as they made their way back through the tunnel with the tail tight, with the tail tucked between their legs. Gave a standing ovation to the team that lost the fight. Here's what I don't understand. Pete Carroll taught me when I was at USC, in every game, there's a winner and there's a loser. Well, last Saturday, Alabama was a loser. And the winner, whether you like it or not, Alabama, was LSU. So notice this, okay? There's a lot of people that I've talked to, coaches, players, who sit there and say, well, I could have been the one to jump to jump Alabama and get the win. But guess what? We never saw Felipe Franks do it. We never saw Auburn do it. They never did it. They're all wannabes. Because Joe Burrow is the one. And then you got a bunch of guys in the locker room after the game coming up and saying, you know what, we finally did it. There's a lot of guys out there that said they could have beaten it. Beaten them in their home stadium. Well, guess what? Texas A&M didn't break it. Florida didn't. Auburn didn't. You know why? They're all wannabes. LSU is the one in 31 and 1. And you know what? I'll say it slowly for you. One more time. Joe Burrow is the one in 21 and 1. Ladies and gentlemen, there are college football Hall of Famers. There are legends. And there are SEC quarterbacks. And the key to that is they're all plural. They're all up together. And then there's only one that stands head and shoulders above the rest on a platform of his own. There's only one beast incarnate. There's only one conqueror of the streak. And there's only one Joe Burrow. Coach Foe, that put a tear to my eye, that amazing promo. It reminded me a lot of a certain promo circa 2014. But thank you, Coach, for joining the program and bringing the absolute fire, the fire that was needed, because Joe Burrow is the one, as you put it, in 31-1. and one. He's also the one in 8-1 and one. after eight years. Finally get it done. Now we move on to Ole Miss. Oh, yeah, Ole Miss, the whole stomping ground. My first head coaching job. Man, I love that place. It's better than that, that chicken on the stick. What about Raising Cane's? Raising Cane's so much better. Bye, Ma. Thanks, Coach. We'll talk to you maybe next week. Yeah, I'm always going to come on. Maybe, maybe, maybe let's get that for the SEC title game. Okay, that, that works for me, man. I'll take it easy. I'll, I'll, I'll be in touch with you off air, right? Okay, cool. Hopefully we don't get like sued for that, that promo because I think that was very similar to something. I'll talk to you about it when we go to break and wrap up the program. All right, T-Boy. Talk to you later. Oh, man, Coach Foe bringing the heat, and that's how we do things and wrapping up the program on a Louisiana Saturday morning. And, hey, we're going to keep it going next week, hopefully recapping a big win over Ole Miss and looking ahead to the big game against Arkansas. Man, give me the college football season's almost over, but I absolutely love it. Talk to you next week, everybody. You've been listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game.